Sermon Notes. Uh, we are continuing our study through the Gospel of John. I'm Garland. We got Michael and Josh here, uh, as always. And so uh, we're continuing with our little mini section, little mini series of our study on the I am statements. And so we're looking at the seven uh, kind of famous I am's of Jesus. And we, we are sticking in chapter 10 this week um, as we enter into Palm Sunday this Sunday. And so, uh, Michael, kind of what's going on is the I am the good shepherd. So give us the context. Give us what's going on in the passage. Let's talk about John 10. Yeah, if you're maybe joining us for the first time on Sermon Notes, or maybe you've stumbled upon this, uh, I would want to suggest to you to go back and listen to the the episode immediately prior to this, which is on Jesus saying, I am the gate or I am the door of the sheep. It's going to help you understand this week's a lot better. They're very tightly connected. Uh, in John chapter 10, Jesus is using an extended metaphor of sheep in a sheep pen. And we talked about that uh, quite a bit on the last episode. So like I said, go back and catch that if you missed it. Uh, and what Jesus has said is he's the door to this sheep pen. He is the way that these sheep are able to come in to safety, but also able to go out to provision um, to what Jesus calls in verse 10, the abundant life. And then in verse 11, he adds another I am statement, another layer to this extended metaphor. He says, I am the good shepherd. And then he immediately explains why he's the good shepherd. He says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And the rest of our passage this week is Jesus doing a little mini teaching, a little um, object lesson, if you will, where he's unpacking what it means to be the good shepherd. And he does that by contrasting himself as the good shepherd with this other character that he calls the hired hand. And the hired hand is the person who is hired to watch the sheep, but doesn't own the sheep. And we see ultimately doesn't care about the sheep because he says when the hired hand sees the wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and he flees and the wolf snatches them. That word's going to come back up a little bit later in the chapter. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. Verse 13, he flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. And so um, commentators disagree about exactly who Jesus is pointing to here. I tend to think that he's looking at the religious leaders in Israel as he says this, as the people who view shepherding the people of Israel as their job, that they clock in and they clock out, but at the end of the day, they don't really care. They don't own, take ownership of the sheep, and they're certainly not going to lay their life down for them, which is exactly what Jesus is going to do. There's actually a, a for those listening to this, um, this is why you come to Sermon Notes, I guess. There's a little book. It's real short, and it is fascinating. Um, it's actually written about another another chapter of the Bible. I know you've read it. It's called, uh, a, I think it's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. That's is that right. the title of that book? Yep. By Philip Keller. And he actually w- lived the life of a shepherd in New Zealand, of all places, for 11 years, but he's also a pastor. And upon that experience, he came back and, and uh, wrote this little book. And he actually has a chapter on, there was a... a, a a field, or I guess a, a sheep pen, next to where he kept his sheep, and there was a hired hand that that ran that sheep pen, and he watched as that hired hand 
He saw this in action, did not care for the sheep. The sheep would get parasites. He would not lead them to the right places of water. They would drink out of these nasty potholes of muddy water. They were constantly sick. He said those, those sheep, they didn't know, they did, their grass, he looked over at one point, and sheep will just stupidly eat everything in their path, almost like goats do, unless they're led to new. So he said sh- shepherds have to take such personal care to lead these sheep, keeping them on the move, and these didn't because it was a hired hand. So they ate all the grass down to the root, and so it was just a barren, you know, the next the next year it came up, it was just barren. And these sheep that are valuable ended up, many of them didn't make it. And so he watched this, and in commenting on that, he said, well, that he was a hired hand. He wasn't, right. I owned these sheep. And so just as you were reading that, I had just read that yesterday. I was like, man, that's really, that's exactly true to life for the experience of real shepherds. So it's just, it was, uh, it was interesting. Yeah. And so Jesus contrasts himself with the hired hand. And he says in verse 14, I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I really spent some time looking at that word know. Um, It's a word that a lot of our listeners might be familiar with in the Greek. It's gnosis. And um, John uses that word more than any other New Testament writer. And I really think when Jesus says here, um, I know my sheep, just as my father knows me and I know the father, um, he's, he's taking knowledge. He's really combining two ideas here in the Greek world, that word gnosis, it would be used for intellectual knowledge, things I know, things I've learned. It's really how we use the word know commonly. Uh, But in the Hebrew um, worldview, know meant uh, have a relationship with. So we still use it that way. I know you, Garland. I know your family. Um, I have a relationship with you. And, you know, the Bible, uh, we all are familiar with, uses that word know to mean intimate relationships. A husband knows his wife Um, That means they have a very intimate um, connection with each other. And so where Jesus says here, um, I know my own and they know me. And then he compares that to his relationship with the Father, an eternal relationship knowledge. I think for us to just pause and consider the difference between an intellectual assent to a set of propositions— Someone can intellectually say, yes, I think that Jesus was a historical figure. Yes, I have a certain set of theological presuppositions that I would affirm about Jesus. Uh, That's not knowing Jesus the way the Father and Son know each other within the Trinity. And so there's a relationship component here. And in verse 16, um, he says that there are other sheep not of this fold, and I must bring them out also, and they will listen to my voice. And we're going to talk about this extensively Sunday, but those other sheep are us. So most people listening to this, most people that I do life with were not born into the sheepfold that is the nation of Israel. We were in another pen, a Gentile pen, and Jesus said, no, he had sheep there too, and we heard his voice and followed him. And the application that I won't have time to get into on Sunday that I wanted to share with our Sermon Notes listeners is this. There are a lot of voices in the world. And we can stand really close to the world and listen to the world's voices. We can listen to the voices of political leaders. We can listen to the voices of our culture, um, of our entertainment industry. And those voices can be really loud. 
Um, but if we move toward the good shepherd, if we move toward the voice of the one who called us into this new flock that is the Christian church, that is those who've been adopted into the family of Jesus, his voice should be distinct and can become louder and louder if we'll move away from those other influences and toward him. And we have a really compelling reason to do that. It's in verse 17. He laid down his life for us. And um, I know we're going to talk here in just a second, Garland, about the timing and the year and where we are. But just for us to remember, Jesus chose to lay down his life, verse 17, that he might take it up again. Jesus went to the cross knowing full well that resurrection was his future. Um, resurrection wasn't an afterthought after something horrible and unplanned happened. Jesus was born to live the perfect life, go to the cross in our place, and then to be resurrected to eternal life. And we see that. Verse 18, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord, and I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. And so um, Jesus' authority over his own life and his ability to lay down his life for us, the sheep, and then to take it back up again. Uh, man, it's a really compelling lesson that he has for us, especially this time of the year. Yeah, I know there in verse 17. And uh, if you didn't listen to last week, just jot down uh, Ezekiel 34, um, this one shepherd who will rule over them idea. You'll actually see that pop in Ezekiel 34. It'll both be Yahweh and the one Yahweh sins who will be in the line of David. Uh, and so uh, Jesus... Jesus pretty pretty cleverly is making some very strong claims here as he says this. Um, as you even said that, just the laying down his life with the authority. I mean, that that just for some reason in my head, I know it's because we'll be in Passion Week. Um, in Psalm 22, a lot of scholars think Jesus will quote that on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I think for some, we've seen that as Jesus' cry of the Father's turned on me. He's turned his back on me. And many scholars think that's actually the wrong way to take it. What Jesus, go, go read Psalm 22. It starts with this cry of dereliction, this cry of pain. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But then as the Psalm continues, this crushed man well, and there's a ton of uh, Passion Week imagery in Psalm 22, but it ends with this triumphant deliverance. And many scholars think Jesus actually is quoting uh, that first verse of Psalm 22, not to say, look, God's abandoned me, but instead to say, I lay down my life, but I will take it up again. It's a very confident, yes, the pain of the cross is there, but it's a, it's a, it's a quotation to mean the entire Psalm, which ends in, radical deliverance, that this will not end for me like this. There, There is the other side coming. And yeah. so as Jesus says, my God, my God, my, why have you forsaken me? He means the whole Psalm. And that just gives a different perspective, even in that moment on the cross of Jesus is, he's doing what he said here. Right. Yeah. Man, that's a great point, Garland. And I mentioned as we were looking at uh, verse 12, um, that he says, uh, when the hired hand sees the wolf coming, the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And he brings that word up again later in the chapter, um, in verse 28 of this same chapter, which we won't have time to cover on Sunday morning. Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one's able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. And so because of this relationship that Jesus has already referred to between him and his father and the authority that Jesus has, once we have heard his voice and come into his flock 
And now we're in his pen, the pen that he is the door and the gate of, the pen that gives us protection, but also lets us out into the abundance of the green pasture. Um, we don't have to worry about the wolf anymore. What, whatever that is in our life, nothing can snatch us out of Jesus' hand. And I've met with a lot of people over the years, and I know you have too, Garland, who worry um, Am I really saved? Do I really know the Lord? And this is a great verse um, just for assurance. I've written the word security in the margin of my Bible next to this verse. No one can snatch us out of the hand of Jesus um, once we've come into his flock. He's the good shepherd who laid down his life for us already. So we're eternally secure in that. Mm-hmm. And that's in the imagery of that. Like, you have to imagine the scene. A wolf is attacking, and the shepherd runs and grabs the sheep as the wolf comes to attack and holds holds on to that sheep. And then he says, the father, who's greater than all, he's on the other side holding the sheep. And just as we as we as we move into talking about Passion Week, just thinking about how did I how did I arrive at that security? Well, because he actually laid his life down. The wolf took his best swing on him and he beat the wolf. And yeah. so now I can have the confidence of that security in what he's done. And that's a good segue for us. So as we as we turn in our sermon notes, this, you know, we're, we're working through John chapter 10, we're working through these I am's, but we also find ourselves uh, approaching Holy Week. This is Passion Week for us. Um, and we say all the time here at Fellowship Fayetteville, we, we're all used to marking our lives with calendars. We all have uh, rituals that happen year by year. Think Thanksgiving, think Fourth of July, the start of football season, all these things are things that we mark time by and they're rituals that we perform, whether we know it or not. And uh, we can either be informed by our culture's rituals and calendar, or we can we can carve out a space in our life to let uh, the, the kind of the Christian calendar govern and, and dictate how we think. And uh, let us just simply remind our people, and I'm reminding myself even as we look to this week of Holy Week, uh, today's Palm, uh, this Sunday's Palm Sunday, and um, a- as we approach Holy Week, uh, what would it look like? Um, Friday's Good Friday. We'll have our our, uh, our room here open to come take communion uh, as a person, as a couple, as a family. Sunday is obviously going to be Easter Sunday. So, Michael, any thoughts on just what it looks like to to be intentional with that time? Yeah, there's tons of resources available. So you can get um, a daily Holy Week devotional. Uh, You can find that at our website. You can have it emailed to you. Our family ministry has family devotionals you can do with your family. They're in the Lent book. Um, But I would say, no matter what your situation is, maybe you're married, maybe you're not, maybe you have kids, maybe you don't, um, is to set aside some time every day during this week. Um, There's a lot of ways you could do it. Um, You could just read through um, the Passion accounts at the end of each of the four Gospels. You could take some time to think about what did Jesus do on Tuesday and read those events. Uh, What did Jesus do on Wednesday, on Thursday? There's a lot of things that happened on Thursday. And just kind of walk through that Holy Week with him. I would say the biggest thing, though, is just to have some intentional time where you consider the significance of the events of Jesus' final week and especially his final hours and prepare your heart to celebrate the resurrection on Sunday. And then my other big idea for all of our listeners and really our whole church body would be Easter and Christmas are times that our broader culture recognizes Christian holidays, whether they infuse it with spiritual meaning or not. A lot of non-believers will do Easter baskets and have chocolate eggs and Easter bunnies. Wear the pastels. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so, and maybe even go to church. But um, this is a great 
time that you can use the things that the rest of our culture are well aware of and even participating in to possibly have a spiritual conversation. And it doesn't have to be a big prepared thing, but just to mention to your neighbor how you're excited to celebrate the resurrection or how this time of year is meaningful to you because of what Jesus has done. It's a really easy way. And people in general, I find, are more open to talk about that kind of thing than we might think. And you could find yourself having a really significant, even eternity-changing conversation with somebody because Easter's here, and everybody's well aware of that. It's part of our broader culture. And that that's a great reminder. I even think thinking about it can be easy for us to almost slip into the sentimentality of some of these holidays, family and chocolates and pastels. But just just for us as sermon note participants and as a church, this isn't mythology. This isn't a fable. We really believe that uh, a first century Jewish man named Jesus really was the son of God. He really was crucified under the hands of the Romans. And this act that happened thousands of times over, this act with this son of God who really is divine, accomplished the defeat of sin and death where our sin was placed on him. And then we are receiving his gift of goodness on the, on Sunday in the resurrection. We really believe the tomb is empty. We really believe that death has been conquered. And if you've if it's been a while for you to really reflect on the implications of the resurrection, not just for what it means about death and life after death, but what it means for now, that that resurrection life has broken through, the, this new world has broken through, then this is a good week to, to reset on that. And we have an Out of Curiosity episode, one of our other podcasts on some of the apologetic issues on the resurrection. There's tons of books. There's tons of the articles I'm sure will be coming out all week. Stop by on those. Simmer on those. Don't don't let the sentimentality uh, kind of lull you to sleep. And I'm speaking to myself as well. Yeah, and that's a great reminder. And just to bring it back and end it right back in our passage, the significance of exactly what you're saying is John 10, 10, that we can have life and have it abundantly, not just eternally, abundantly, beginning now, the life of following King Jesus the good shepherd who laid down his life for us, his sheep. I'm excited. Um, it's, a, it's a holy week. It's, a, it's an important week. It's a somber week. It's a celebratory week. So let's enter it with humility and let's enter it rejoicing of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And thanks for listening to Sermon Notes.